My beloved in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory I am Father Michael Mandelis. I'm the pastor of St. John Christian Parish up in Seattle. But I also have the office as Protocentillus of the Pacific Northwest for those of the Western Church. That's uh, an Episcopal vicar office. I'm not a bishop, but I function in some capacity. So on behalf of the Holy Protection of Mary Byzantine Catholic Eparchy of Phoenix, that's the diocese we're in, and on behalf of Father Daniel Dozier and his parish, who host this beautiful event every year, we welcome you all. I also welcome especially uh, our, the Legion of Mary that comes here today to celebrate their 100th anniversary. 100. Congratulations to you. We've been celebrating this pilgrimage for 23 years, so my question is, let you know, we've been waiting for you. Where have you been? <laughs> In our Byzantine theology, our Byzantine spirituality, when we come to an event and we celebrate the Divine Liturgy, something spectacular happens that can't happen in your home. It can't happen in the beach, and it can't happen in the mountains. It can only happen when we come together as the body of Christ to celebrate the Divine Liturgy. And what has happened? The moment the priest began the blessing with, Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the heavenly came down to the earth. Our liturgy that we're celebrating right now is a mirror reflection of the heavenly liturgy, the heavenly worship of God, and at this moment, the two are intertwined. So in a unique way, the Feast of the Dormition, or in the West, the Assumption that we're celebrating the post-festive period for, it's happening right now. We're at our tomb, and we're also with her in the heavenly kingdom. Because we have a foretaste of heaven here in this divine liturgy. So a wonderful experience. But that's not my problem. A long time ago in a village far, far away, and this was back in the days of Rebecca, the days even of Samaritan woman, there was a woman who had a little hut. And every morning she would get up and she would take her yoke with a, a clay pot on each side and she would put the yoke on her shoulders and she would walk down, down the path to the well to get her water for the day. And then she would come back. And she would do this day after day after day. One of the pots had a crack in its side, and it was leaking water as it was going. And one day the pot said to the mistress, to the lady, you know, you've got to stop using me. I'm not giving you the full value of, my, of your efforts because I'm losing half the water on the way back. And the lady says, do you see those flowers on the table? Yes. Those flowers are because of you. Well, I don't understand, she said, or the pot said. Well, I knew that you had a crack in your side. Didn't you notice that there was always flowers growing on your side of the path when you came home? 
Because I knew of your defect, I planted flowers so that you would water them every day on the way home. It is because of that that we have those flowers on the table. My brothers and sisters, we're all a bunch of crackpots. <laughs> but Our Lady knows how to use that to bring flowers to her son. Because she's always pointing to her son. So my question today is, why did you come here? Did you come here to see people dressed in splendid clothing? Why did you come here today? Did hear great theology, see a theatrical performance? Why did you come here today? Well, as we know, those who are dressed in splendid clothing are in palaces. Great theological orations take place in a lecture hall and theatrical entertainment in the opera house. Why did you come here today? You came here today because you were responding to the call of the Blessed Mother. Something inside you drove you to come here today instead of staying home and watching bass fishing on TV or whatever else. Something drove you to come here today. And that is what is, that is worth or is those fragrant flowers that we bring because we know part of us would say, God, that's a long drive to Olympia, especially from Seattle and further north. But you came. There's a few things I want to share with you today. A few simple things. We had two gospel readings, two epistle readings. And in our church, the Byzantine church, that can often happen. We had two. The first one was for the mountain service and the feast of the Dormition. The second one, my brother priests are probably going, why, and the, the religious, why is he reading a scripture reading that we read on the feast of the circumcision of our Lord, which is January 1st? Well, there's a reason. But if it doesn't go well, Father Daniel may never invite me back again. <laughs> In the first one, we hear about the great joy of the mother of God. Did you hear the zeal? That great zeal in our heart for the love of God? Even Elizabeth had it. It seems wherever God has, there's, there's this great zeal, this drive to share it with somebody to spread the news, to have that zeal of evangelism. On November 21st, we in our Byzantine church celebrate a unique feast, the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. And on that feast, we talk about her when she was a very small girl, and she was committed to God, and she was going to live in the temple until she became the age of a woman. And the sin was in the, in the tradition that she came, and when she got to the steps of the temple, she ran up. This little girl ran up into the temple, expressing her complete love, her complete commitment, her complete devotion and zeal for God, even at that young age. And that didn't end 
this zeal and this devotion of God that was all-consuming would guide and govern her life. Do we have that zeal? Do we have that openness of heart to run into whatever direction he sends us without concern about what may happen, but just trusting that God's divine providence will take place? We can see that happen for her on March 25th, can we not? When the angel Gabriel came and announced, Rejoice, O full of grace. She didn't turn tail and run. She stayed. Let it be done to me, she said. And because of that, we have our salvation. So she was filled with love and filled with zeal. The next thing she had was humility. Elder Ephraim of Arizona would write to one of his spiritual children saying, that Lucifer and Adam both fell from God because of pride and rebellion. But Adam was saved to the humility of the Theotokos. Look at, at the power of humility. It brought about our salvation. Behold, let it, I'm the handmaid of the Lord be it done to me according to your word. And that brought about and ushered in our restoration, our new life. Are we filled with that zeal, that openness of heart, and can we walk the path in humility? Then later on, as the child would grow, when he would become 12 years old, we heard in our gospel that it was the custom of the family to go up to Jerusalem for the feast. And they would go up and celebrate. And when the time for the feast was over, they left. You know, they traveled in groups because it was safe. The Theotokos and St. Joseph assumed Jesus was with them. But after part of a day, they realized he's not there. Could you imagine what was going through her heart? I know how it is with my own children. When they were small and we were in the grocery store or somewhere and they were gone and I couldn't find them. So they return. And we know that they find him in the temple talking with the teachers. And something extraordinary, something we need to ponder happened. Because she comes up and says to him, after seeing all that's happening, and having some relief that he's okay, why have you done this to us? Can't you see your father and I have been searching for you in sorrow? Why have you done this to us? Can't you see we've been searching for you in sorrow? Perhaps one of the reasons why you came here today is to ask God to the Blessed Mother that very same question. Where 
have you been when my heart is breaking because my loved one is suffering? Where have you been when my marriage is being destroyed? Where have you been when my children stop worshiping in my faith anymore? Where have you been when the desires of the flesh are eating the young ones alive? Where are you when nobody speaks the truth anymore? Where have you been, Lord? I've been seeking for you in anxiety. Can't you see the sorrow I'm in? I have come here today because I'm searching for you to fill that sorrow, to heal that wound, to remove the anxiety. But Jesus gives a strange response. Did you not know I must be in the Father's house? Why were you searching? It clearly says that Mary did not understand what he was talking about. If my son said that to me, I'd be dumbfounded. I wouldn't know what that meant, even though I knew where he was from. But then she takes him in tow, and off they go. This happens again at the wedding feast at Cana. When she goes there and she sees the needs of the people, they have no more wine, she tells her son, and he says, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not come. She continues, she continues and tells the servant, do whatever he has told you to do. She saw their anxiety, she saw the embarrassment, and in their hearts they were looking for help. What are we to do? But Jesus is working all the time. He's always doing the work of his father in his father's house. He's always making things and manipulating things through his divine providence and love, working with the will of everybody around to bring about our healing. And so we ask the question, where have you been? Can I see that I've been seeking for you in anxiety? And we learn from Mary to trust him. That she may not understand every single thing her son does. And that you and I may not understand everything that's happening in our lives. The difficulties in our home. The difficulties in our families. The difficulties in the world around us. We're not going to understand all of that. But there is something that held her together. And we get a tiny glimpse of this. From the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking the words of God to the Israelites who had tried to make a pact, were trying to make a pact with Egypt to protect themselves against a foreign invasion. And God was saying, Stop worrying about that. I will take care of you. And this is what he tells the people. By waiting and by calm, you shall be saved. 
in quiet and in trust your strength lies. By waiting and by calm you shall be saved. In quiet and in trusting your strength lies. This embodies the mother of God. She was always quiet, never seeking any accolades for herself, constantly pointing to her son. She always waited patiently and calmly, quietly and in trust. Because she would know that her son is God, that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, and that he will bring about what he says he will bring about. What's required of us is to wait and be calm, to be quiet and to trust, and there we will have the strength of the Blessed Mother. Now we aren't her. We have those faults. But she's going to make use of those faults. She's going to bring us about to her son so that we may enter into this heavenly kingdom we're participating in part now in full and in glory. This feast that we're celebrating today is a divine feast. Because the mother of God we celebrate in Eastern churches, her dormition, her falling asleep, her dying, that's important to us because that tells me that the flesh that Jesus has is truly human. His mother was a real mother. And then she would be the first fruits of the resurrection because he would raise her up. They would not find her body in the tomb when they came back and opened it up. Our Lord came for her soul and then took her body. And now the fruit of all that is we have her to intercede for us. Her to direct us to her son. Her to comfort us. To give us peace and solace. Because she knows your hearts she knows why you came because she sent you a personalized invitation and you've responded. And I tell you, you haven't come here to see fancy clothes or theatrical performances or theological discourse at this liturgy. You've come here to touch the very face of God. And she is pointing to you for that. And the moment we start this divine liturgy up, when we get to the anaphora, let us lift up our hearts. That moment we are preparing to touch the face of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, and put Him on our lips, and in our tongue, and in our bodies. And in that, we begin our process of holiness, of deification. We're participating in God's life now. As you go through the rest of this pilgrimage, remember she is there with you. Remember she is filled with the joy and zeal and love for God. Strive to emulate that. Remember she had the path and she had such humility. It was able to bring about our salvation 
walk the path of humility with her. And remember, she may not have understood at that time everything that Jesus was doing. She trusted in quiet patience and calm and allow God to do what God's going to do. And in that we will find peace. I end with the last prayer of an Akathist that we pray during the Feast of the Dormition. And the last prayer is a very long prayer, but I'm just going to read the very last paragraph, and this is where we shall end. For you, O Lady, are the glory of the heavenly and the hope of the earthly. You are the hope and protection of all who flee to you and ask your help. You are our fervent pleader before your Son and our God. For your maternal prayers are powerful to entreat the Master. And through your intercession we dare to approach, even though we are unworthy, the throne of grace of his most holy and life-creating mysteries. Wherefore, beholding all your all-full honorable icon, and seeing the God who holds all things held in your hands, we sinners rejoice, falling down in contrition, and we kiss it in love, expecting, O Lady, through your prayers, which are pleasing to God, to enter into everlasting and heavenly life, to stand without shame for the day of judgment at the right hand of your Son, our God, glorifying him together with his unoriginate Father, the most holy, good, and life-creating, and consubstantial spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. Amen.